Insights, interviews, and best practices by clinicians for clinicians. Welcome to GE Healthcare's Clinical View Podcasts. Top Bed Talk. Well, hello, I'm Desiree Chapel, and this is Top Med Talk. We are live from the European Anesthesiology Congress, Euro Anesthesia 2019 in Vienna, and I'm here with Editor-in-Chief of Top Med Talk, Monty Mylan. Hello, Monty. Hi, Desiree. We're having a, we're having a busy day. It's good. <laughs> you know, what's funny is I tried not to schedule too much, but... <laughs> you said that we would be allowed to at least go to the bathroom every now and again, but that's been a false thought, promise. It is, I know, I'm but sorry. But at least we're not drinking anything, so we're not hydrating. <laughs> so Could no, be an issue later on. have no need for that. So. Well, um, we've met up with some new friends, but we've also been able to catch up with some old friends too and we have our guest with us this afternoon Frederick Michard who is a guest and, and a very special friend Frederick how are you I'm very good this guy good so nice um, to see you it is very nice to see you thank you for coming and sitting down with us and I know that when we caught you you were in a rush because you were just coming from a session that you were doing so yeah, I'm sorry I was a bit late but oh, no, uh, no, no, yeah. no. it was a busy session with many questions at the end that's always a good sign Exactly, exactly. Yeah. A lot of interest. It was a session about computers, you know. Yeah. How computers could help us uh, during surgery with closed-loop system, but also after our surgery. I was, I was giving a lecture on uh, wearable sensors for monitoring patients on the ward. Yeah. What, so remind me the title of your, of your presentation that you're doing. Oh, was wireless wearables for the wards, like the, you know, the new... WWW Revolution question mark. <laughs> I love it. I thought it, when you sent that to me, I'm like, that's so awesome. The WWW, the new revolution. I think it's going to be good. I know we've talked about this before, but um, I think it definitely warrants talking about it again. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in that space and uh, what we can expect to see? Yeah, so I mean, I used in my presentation a very recent paper published in The Lancet. It's a very short paper, but the they look at the global burden of, uh, of surgery of post-operative complications, yeah. actually. And they, and they claim that there are 4.2 million patients who die within 30 days following surgery on the planet every year. Wow, that's huge. It's huge. And uh, this is actually the third leading cause of death. Yeah, that's what they claim. we talked about that. Yeah. It's more yeah. than HIV. Exactly. More than HIV, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. Combined, right, yes. Yeah, so you know, obviously, yeah, this paper. paper. So it's a very powerful paper and statement, of course. Very useful to start and kick off a, a discussion on the topic. But, but is, it, the suggestion is that, that much of that is avoidable. Otherwise, it's, is it, there's a balance. Because sometimes you need the surgery to try and save your life, and part of it is your life may not be savable. Of course. Yeah. I mean, we are not going to be able to prevent all these deaths. All, all these deaths but, uh, but some are preventable. Yeah. We know that there are many uh, medical complications we can, we can prevent by improving the way we manage patients during surgery, but also, and that was my point, uh, to, uh, by improving the way we monitor patients uh, when they are on the wards. Yeah. Because in the OR, in the PACU, we look at them very closely, we monitor our vital signs continuously, but as soon as they reach the wards, as you know, I mean, nurses are doing spot check every four to six hours, and, uh, you know, five minutes... Every four hours, it's actually 2% of the time. And uh, during my lecture, I was highlighting the paradox that today, I mean, with your smartphone, we can, uh, and connected device, I have a few, as you can imagine, in my, in my home. <laughs> I'm playing with uh, all the time. <laughs> and so that's the paradox, you know, oh, we're, we're, we're about to reach, that uh, we can monitor a lot of uh, information or collect a lot of uh, physiological information from home. And the paradox would be, as soon as we are admitted in the hospital, then, up, 
Nothing. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say my dad like gets a little alert when his heart rate heart rate drops or, you know, I mean, on his, his watch, you exactly. know, <laughs> and, exactly. but we can't get monitoring in the war. That's, it's crazy to me. So, so that was, uh, that was basically the point I was trying to make to show that, uh, because, you know, we developed so many efforts and energy to improve quality of care during surgery. So we had two great speakers explaining that when using closed loop system for fluid administration, for anesthetic uh, management, we can possibly improve outcome, but I would say improve outcome a little as compared to what we could possibly do if we were uh, investing more energy yeah. and uh, imagination uh, to uh, monitor patients on the wards. Because, so I said, many patients die after surgery. What I didn't say is that uh, the second slide of my presentation is actually the large USO study also published in The Lancet in uh, 2012 by uh, Robert Pierce, showing that most patients who die after surgery, they don't die in the ICU. No. They die on the wards. Yeah. And as, as an intensivist, uh, you know, I tended to believe that when patients are deteriorating, on the wards, they are transferred to the ICU and eventually die in the ICU. Yeah. But I realized when reading these articles that actually most patients die on the wards. Mm. Yeah. That's why I'm convinced we need to find a solution to improve the detection of clinical deterioration. Yeah. So part of the thing I'm struggling with at the moment on that journey, so I completely agree with you, but therefore what we've got to do is to help people to understand the value proposition of the monitoring on the ward such that they, they drive, they accelerate more towards accepting that solution. Now, I've seen some presentations recently where people have kept lots more patients in the overnight intensive recovery area to demonstrate how unstable the patients are mm -hmm. that are going back to the floor. And as a result of that, the managers are turning around and saying, well, we can't keep everyone here. And you say, well, we know that, which means we have to have a solution that works on the floor. Am I making sense in that? They're, they're not necessarily, they want to make the jump straight to the wireless, but the value proposition for that at the moment is quite complicated. Because yeah. I, I think I'm increasingly believing we might have to keep some people in a sort of high dependency type of area to demonstrate the need for the wireless monitoring. So one example I saw from Guy Ludbrook and Bernard Riedel presented in New Zealand recently was when they did that, um, they detected 25% more hemodynamically unstable patients. So a quarter, 30% of the patients were unstable postoperatively. If they went back to the floor, only 5% of those were detected. Yeah. So, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. It's a very good point. By the way, Desiree, you were asking me what's new since we, we <laughs> met and discussed last time. I think it was during ASA in, yeah. in Chicago. So I mentioned this paper in The Lancet, yeah. 4.2 million patients. But there is also a very interesting paper from the group of uh, Dan Sessler published in Anesthesiology, mm -hmm. where they monitored blood pressure continuously mm. and non-invasively on the wards. And uh, clinicians were blinded from, from the measurement. So nurses were doing their regular spot check of blood pressure with a brachial cuff every, uh, every four hours. And then they finally looked at the continuous monitoring uh, data to realize that they missed around 50% of hypotensive mm. events. And, and, and what's, what's interesting in this study as well is that when they say hypotensive events, it's pretty serious because it was uh, a map below 65 for at least 15 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's, that's clearly something. Well. And that's the illustration of what you were saying. It is, and I, I, I kind of, because I was thinking like you, that we, we'll be able to get the people to jump straight to the wireless monitoring. A few places might have to demonstrate with good old-fashioned regular continuous monitoring, which will be quite expensive to deliver, but the technology's there, to make the people who cut the checks turn around and say, whoa, 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 hang on a second. 
I can see that there's a problem that wasn't being detected. Now let's invest in the wireless solution so it's detectable. Otherwise, we're going to have to try and jump them forward. I'm not sure we can make the jump. I hope we can make the jump straight to wireless, but I think we might have to put the painful step in before. I'm not sure because at least from a technological standpoint would be a big challenge because the technologies we have and we use today in the OR on the PACU is definitely not convenient to monitor patients nope. uh, on the wards. So, um, but that might drive the value proposition. So yeah. what I'm getting at him not expressing it very well is if when they kept people in recovery and they either left the arterial line in or they left something like the clear sight monitor or other continuous non-invasive monitors which are you know, costly, the manpower to monitor them is costly, they Back demonstrate they demonstrated costly. all the problems that weren't being seen. Yeah. So then when they do that, they, they have a value proposition there, but they also turn around and say, this is why we have to accelerate towards the wireless solutions. Mm-hmm. Like, we actually have a problem. We have a problem. Yeah, <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. Here's yeah. the problem. Yeah. Don't, don't deny the problem by sending people back to the floor. Where, like, I can totally see going to my administrator or going to an administrator and say, you know, I think we have this problem, but we can't really show it. And you don't, you, it's hard to build a value proposition yeah. to spend, hey, let's invest all this money in wireless technology. We don't have a problem. So keep, you know. keep 60 consecutive patients in yeah. overnight in recovery, monitor them continuously, which is hard work, which is what they did, and demonstrate that, that one in three yeah. is, got, is getting into trouble, whereas you thought it was one in 20. Yeah. And then they can turn around and say, oh, now I hear you. Now I hear you. It's a problem we have here. So, Frederick, what does the, the wireless technology look like that that are that you know is in the wards? I mean, is it as simple as a, a patch, a watch? A, I yeah, mean, what, yeah, is it that could it? be basically everything you can imagine. Uh, there are necklaces uh, which are already FDA approved. I mean, in the US, I mean, uh, really? yes, we can't use them in uh, in Europe, <laughs> Desiree, but you could use them which in which is in usually odd, right? <laughs> that we oh, can actually use it here, then you guys can't use it. There are necklaces monitoring heart rate, uh, respiratory heart? rate, and you know these are bioimpedance uh, necklaces. Okay. That's so, what I was going to ask. So the they can they can also detect a change in uh, thoracic fluid content. So, wow. uh, by the way, I mean most of these companies are not focusing today on. Uh, on uh, post-operative patients. They are focusing on uh, patients with congestive heart failure, for at example, home. and uh, yeah. home monitoring. Yeah. That could be a way, you know, if you detect pulmonary congestion at a very early stage, uh, to modify therapy and prevent hospital readmission, yeah. which is a big, big Huge. issue, uh, not only clinical and human, but also economical in, in the U.S., yes. readmission for congestive heart failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And terrible. as you said, I mean, there are many adhesive patches uh, you can use today to monitor heart rate, respiratory rate, possibly SpO2, skin temperature. Yeah. And um, so basically all vital signs, I think, will be able to monitor them continuously uh, with uh, simple tools. Uh. Do you think that, um, that that technology, I mean, how long does it last? Like if someone, we put somebody immediately post-op on this, that they can go home with it and use it for extended periods of time and... Do you think it's going to change like length of stay or anything like that, that people would be able to be discharged because we're going to send them home with this more? Could be an additional benefit. I always have a question about home monitoring, but my answer is usually, I mean, I want to focus first on what's happening in the hospital because yeah. it's a well-controlled area. And I think we learn a lot, by the way. We yeah. don't know anything. You know, if you, if you, I don't know if you tried yourself, but if you monitor your blood pressure continuously, you're clearly surprised, right? Actually, I was surprised to see that all these swings, uh, you know, from the morning to the evening, uh, and we tend to believe that we have one 
usual yeah. blood pressure value and we know it's actually when we use these tools it's definitely not the case yeah. same for blood glucose monitoring same for basically all all okay. physiological or bio, even bio, biological signals as soon as we are able to monitor them continuously we learn a lot about physiology so mm. I think it's definitely too soon to envision uh, monitoring uh, from home I know many companies are of course interested They're because that's it. the big market yeah. uh, many people are interested as well Yeah. But as you know, I mean, usually people are interested, actually, probably not the patient, the people who would benefit from that. Right, okay? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they are very fit people. They monitor the heart rate. Yeah. They even monitor the SpO2. And, yeah. I, you know, what's Sounds the point like measuring your SpO2 when you play tennis? Or, <laughs> right. I have no idea. You're, you run a thousand miles. Like, who cares? Yeah. But when you have COPD and uh, asthma, I mean, it could yeah. be interesting to have uh, these uh, sensors uh, giving you information about your respiratory rate and yeah. uh, your SpO2. You know, I think the entrance into that, though, you know, the, the technology that's come out with monitoring continuous blood pressure or uh, uh, blood glucose and things like that, like, people are kind of getting used to that tech. So maybe that will be the kind of, you know, the next step. I can see that kind of helping to be a bridge to understand, like, going to be continuously monitored. I can look on my phone and see what it is, and I can send that to a physician if I need to. So that's interesting. I don't know. And the, the potential for information overload. Yeah. So I presume like, part of it is information filtering and analysis and predict predictive analytics or responsive artificial intelligence. Because otherwise, yeah. we, we, like you said, with the blood pressure signal, it's all over the place. So you need to kind of filter out. The yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, yeah, but I think we need more than computers. We need, we need first of all to be able yourself to interpret the measurements, yeah. Yeah. and then of course computers will be able. Uh, but we will need we will need them to filter artifacts, you know, to yes. to ensure we get uh, reliable information. But I think uh, there is a, there is clearly a phase where we will have to better understand what's happening, what should be done. Yeah. And probably, you know, significant changes have to be respected because they, are, they just reflect normal physiology. Yes. And I'm always a bit scared when I see young doctors obsessed by the normalization of blood pressure, cardiac output, whatever. I think so very often we have to respect what's happening, particularly in ICU patients. Yeah. Uh, because it's very often just a response uh, to the aggression. Well, yeah. That, I mean, it's always like I have to give some medication to treat yeah. some. I have to treat the number, you know, not looking at, at the patient. It happens for sure. Well, Frederick, thank you so much for sitting down with us. I know, <laughs> I know you just got out of your session. You've been talking all afternoon, but I do appreciate it because this is a, it's a hot topic and we're going to be talking a lot more about it. And um, I, hopefully you'll be able to come back and tell us some new tech, new technology coming out here. And you always seem at the forefront of all this stuff. So Always a pleasure to stop by uh, <laughs> Top Metalk booth. And where, where do we find you again yes. and find your information? You told us before, but where should we look you up? Oh, the, the, the easiest way to, <laughs> to follow me is actually to visit my website, michardconsulting.com. michardconsulting.com. M-I-C-H-A-R-D. Yes. Right. Consulting, Consulting, all one word. Yes, yeah. one word. We'll get right. that in the show notes. We will, for sure. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Great Thank to you. see you. Top Metalk. Nima Jerison here. Thanks for listening to Top Med Talk. Now, before we let you go, it's important that we remind you to subscribe to Top Med Talk. That way you'll never, ever miss another episode. Also, if we could encourage you to join us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, pretty much every single social media platform, we're there. Join us. And finally, check out Top Med Talk. 
Com. If you go to our website, you can subscribe to email updates. That way we can always tell you where we're going to be, what we're going to be doing and how you can join us. Topmedtalk.com and click on the section marked email updates. Finally, TopMedTalk is proud to act as the broadcasting arm of EBPOM, evidence-based perioperative medicine. We'd love you to find out more about them as well. EBPOM.org is their website. That's E-B-P-O-M.org. And if you go to EBPOM.org forward slash meetings, you can find out about some of the wonderful meetings that we attend and cover across the year here on TopMedTalk. That's EBPOM.org forward slash meetings. Thank you for listening to Clinical View Podcasts, brought to you by GE Healthcare. Expand your view at clinicalview.gehealthcare.com.